Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. Good morning, church. Great to see you. Great to be in the house of the Lord, right? I know the house of the Lord is not a building. It's us. And when we come together in worshiping God, we are recreating the culture of heaven because heaven It's saturated with praise and worship, and we want to be a people that gives room to the Lord, and we can do that by our praise and our worship, right? Amen. Are you ready for God's word? I would ask you to stand. We'll place ourselves before the Lord this morning. Yes, Father God, you're so amazing. You're so beautiful, and, and it's such a privilege for us to worship you and to express in words what we have in our hearts for you and We want you to be glorified. We want you to be lifted high. We want you to have your way in us. We want you to deepen your work in us. And I pray, Father, that you would help me to communicate what you've placed on my heart. And I pray that we would be open to receive what you want to say because you always have a word in season. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may grab a seat. So if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're going through... The epistle of 1 Corinthians, a beautiful mess. And when we talk about a beautiful mess, we're talking about God's grace reaching our mess, coming to redeem our situations. And so so we're going to be talking, we will be touching chapter 7 today. And um, just to give you a little snapshot of of the culture or what we'll be addressing, we have to understand when the apostle Paul, Paul wrote Corinthian, he was, 1 Corinthians, he was talking to a church. It was people that were living there, dealing with issues, having some, some um, uh, when it comes to the culture, there was a culture that surrounded them. So sometimes what we do is we take the word of God and we forget that first of all, it was written to the, first, to the Corinthians, and I really believe there's some, it, it can be applied in our, in our lives, and it should be applied in our lives, but we have to remember that first it was written to them, because their context might be different than ours. And when we look at the context of, of the church, when you look at the context of the community that they lived in, it was, a, at that time, a, a huge city. It was pivotal when it came to, came to the commerce for the Roman Empire, and uh, but and, and that town was known for promoting prosperity and pleasure. Actually, they celebrated immorality. And, and you had this temple dedicated to Af- Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And, and so, so when it came to uh, immorality, when it came to sexuality, it was, um, it, it, there was a lot of freedom in that city. And so Paul is writing to the church that is trying to navigate in these waters of what is what. In chapter 7, we find Paul answering questions that the Corinthians are asking. And uh, in regard of sexuality, marriage, divorce, circumcision, slavery, and celibacy. And what I'm going to do today, like I could spend a lot of time in this chapter. I'll do part 1 now, and I'll do next week part 2. Today I want to focus on marriage, on on, um, divorce, remarriage, how, like, all that comes with that, and I only have an hour to do that, so I'll do my best to, to, uh, to expose or to, to bring forth what I believe God is saying in his word. 
But one of the things that Paul was dealing with is that when people became Christians, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do when it came to their past life and how they lived before. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, it says, Each of you should continue to live as whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. What he's saying to the Corinthians is say, chill for a moment. I'll, I'll speak on what marriage should look like. Don't let culture dictate what marriage should look like, or celibacy, or when it comes to slavery, and so on. And he says in chapter 7, verse 27, uh, are you married? Well, do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Meaning, just listen first to what I have to say before you make your decision. So, so in this chapter, what we find is we find uh, Paul's guidance when it comes to marriage, celibacy, and also on different topics. So if you have your Bible, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read from the message version. I don't really use that version, but as I was studying the text and I was looking at all different versions. I felt that was the version, the, 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 the version that expressed more what Paul was trying to say. It's a paraphrased version for sure, but it really, it's really worth reading because it, 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 I think it gives, it gives a good picture of what Paul wanted to say. It says, now, getting down to the question you asked in your letter, you sent me. And so Paul is responding to the letter. We don't have this letter. It's like being part of a conversation where, I don't know, I'll give this, uh, this picture of my wife is talking on the phone to someone else. I'm not hearing what the other person is saying. The only thing I'm hearing is what my, what my wife is saying. So we don't know. We don't have a letter of the questions that were asked. We only have the answers of Paul. We can guess and have a good idea of what the letter uh, was, was asking, but we don't know. But the first question, question it says... They ask, is it, good, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? And, and so, first they're saying, so is it okay to have sex? And Paul says, certainly, but only with a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in the world of sexual disorder. I find it so well written that God has given marriage for this expression uh, that God created and blessed us with when it comes to sexuality. And, and so the Corinthians are saying, so how do we deal with sexuality? And you got to look at the context. The context of current Corinth is that sexuality was just rampant. It was just normal to meet your needs to the point is that they were comparing having sexual relationship. Like, uh, let's say that you're hungry and then, oh, I'm going to have supper. I'm going to feel my need. I'm going to have, I'm going to eat. It's going to satisfy me. And they thought that if I have a need, I'm going to satisfy it. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work like that. It's not like eating a meal. There's something sacred about sexuality. And that's what he puts the emphasis in, especially at the end of chapter 6. He, he, he focuses on uh, the, the, uh, the sacredness. And we understand, listen, we understand the sacredness of marriage. But one of the things sometimes we don't understand is the sacredness of sexuality. 
And, and Paul spells out very clear. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, well, the first thing that Paul says in his answer is sexual relationship is to happen in the context of marriage. If it's called to be there, that's the way God designed it, and that's the way it should be according to God's word, but also when it comes to our own, our own benefits. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes unbodied with her? For the scripture says two are united in one, but the person who he is joined to uh, to the Lord is one spirit with him. I'm going to read verse 17 again. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what Paul is saying here that if you, if you go and see a prostitute, like in the context of Corinth where you had, historians will say that linked to that temple there was probably more than a thousand prostitutes. So he says when you go and you have a relationship with that prostitute, or when you go and you try to satisfy your personal need, what you're, what you're doing is you're becoming one with that person. And that's not what marriage is supposed to be, or that's not what sexuality was called to be. It was called to be in, in the context of marriage. What Paul is doing is comparing sexual intimacy as becoming one with that person. Let's say, and I'll talk more about that next week when it comes to those that are not married, uh, that's going to be part two. But let's say you're 15, 16 years old or whatever age you have and you've commit, like, you, you've slept with someone outside of marriage. That doesn't mean that you're forced to marry the person you slept with. What you're called to do is to repent. What you're called to do is ask God forgiveness and give, ask him his strength so that you can keep yourself for that wedding day. But what Paul is saying here is that it, it, sexuality is not linked to, it's not like... Uh, friends with benefits, or uh, having casual sex. What he's saying, he gives this picture of being one with that person like when you accept Christ, you are one with Christ. Kind of the same idea he's saying. So when you give yourself to someone else, it, 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 it's, like, it's like when you give yourself to the Lord. And so it's a big deal. Like sexual intimacy is an act of oneness. That's what he's saying. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, you go back to the original plan that God had for, for marriage. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. We hear that at weddings. It's always mentioned at weddings, but we don't really mean, we don't sometimes understand what it means. It's, it means that when there's, there's oneness in sexuality with the desire to commit an exclusivity, this is where marriage happens, right? And, and if you look at 1 first, first chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Haven't you yet learned that your body is the home of the Holy Spirit God gave you and that he lives within you? Your own body does not belong to you. So he's saying to the Corinthians, you can't do whatever you want in the body. It doesn't belong to you. You have to come under Christ. What he's saying is that Christ is not an add-on to your life. He becomes your life. As you committed to Christ and as you place yourself aside where you said, I want to be holy, I want to serve God, uh, you want to see the same thing when it comes to your relationship. Sexual intimacy is really giving yourself to someone else. That's what you are doing. You're giving yourself to someone else. It, it, it's based, it should be based on commitment and exclusivity. It's, 
It's like being joined to Christ. And that's the foundation for the family. To have a, a family, and it's based on commitment, exclusivity, and love. And that's the, the right foundation, God's foundation for a family, where a husband and a wife said, hey, I'm there for you. It's all about you. I commit myself to you. And I commit myself to serve you. I commit myself to, to love you. And that becomes the foundation. So the Corinthians, were, they were taking sexuality as do whatever you want. And Paul is saying no to that. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 9 says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. I like that verse, right? Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. And, 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 and so marriage is a cool thing. <laughs> For those that are not married, it's a cool thing. If I open this parenthesis, when it comes to sexuality, the stats are saying that, that people that are, sex, that, that are married, their sexuality is met way beyond than those that are not married. So it was God's intention for us to enjoy sexuality in the context of marriage. You're still with me? I got to let you know that it was not a hard sermon. It was not an easy sermon to prepare. But I think it's a, really hard, it's a really an important sermon to hear. Secondly, Paul, what he says, marriage is beautiful when things are done in mutuality. mutuality when things are mutual. And, and Paul encourages them to do that. Look what it says in chapter 7, verse 3, again from the message version. The, ma the, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Beautiful picture of mutuality, where you give yourself to someone else. You give yourself to your spouse. You give yourself to your husband or your wife. It's an image of companionship. It's, it's a giving. It's an expression of love. It says here, marriage is a decision to serve the other in every way, and sexuality is one of them. And you have to realize that the context of marriage should always focus on freely and joyfully. Like, you can't use that verse as a crowbar in your marriage. Well, the Bible says that you should do this to me. It doesn't say that. It, 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 because actually, you, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. Love is not like that. And you can't impose it. What you want is freely and joyfully with the desire to bless the person that God has given you through marriage. So, so, so it's a good thing, and, and this is where Paul says, where should sexuality happen? In the marriage, and bless each other as you're married with the focus of surrender and showing love. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, in my marriage, there's no mutuality. It seems like I give, 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 and I don't get back. So what do you do with that? First, go to God. You know, did you know that God hears a prayer? And that God is able to move hearts, that we go to God. That's what we do as believers. We don't go to, to all what's out there. We go to God. And we say, God, this is my situation. This is what I'm going through. And so you bring your request to God, and, and, and you, you keep God before you. And, and another, another thing that you do is you continue to show love. 
because it's unconditional, so you show love. And, and what you bring to that is conversation. You talk about it. You share your heart. And, and as you share your heart, you're also patient and you give grace for growth for the other person to grow. And if that doesn't work, you ask for help. Or even in process, you ask for help. But we want to see mutuality. And that's what Paul is saying. Marriage should be mutual. It should be a giving of one another to one another. And I think it's a beautiful picture. And the reality is that if I want to have a healthy marriage, I need to realize it's going to take effort and work. It doesn't happen by itself. You know what the key thing? It's to have a tender heart. It's not to harden my heart and not to focus on what the person should do for me. It should be, God, give me a heart. Help me to walk in forgiveness. Help me, help me to walk in generosity. Help me to walk with tenderness where I'm not fighting for my rights, right? So it's a big deal. And so Paul talks about marriage is a place where we express our sexuality. And other questions came forward in this letter. And, and, and the Corinthians wanted to have clarification when it came to marriage. So what is marriage? Very good question, right? Because from the view of the world and the view of Christianity, there's a big difference in the two. And, and what Paul really says is marriage is a covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship. And you got to remember that Paul was writing to the church. He wasn't writing to the world. He was writing to the church. And he says this in verse 10, chapter 7. To the married, I give, to the married I give you, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. What he does, he refers to what Jesus said in the gospel in regard of, uh, of marriage. And he says, a wife must not separate for, uh, from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his, his wife. And so here he talks about not to separate not to get divorced, but if you do, you're called to stay single. But what you really want to see happen is reconciliation. And you got to remember that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. In the Roman culture, they were known for divorce of convenience, where people could divorce for whatever reason. No reason you could get divorced. And even when it came to the Pharisees, when they were talking to Jesus about divorce and, and, and uh, the, 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 the level of divorce even among God's people, it was so low that if a wife would burn her, her, her meal when supper, he, the husband, had the right to say, hey, I'm going to get another wife. Get out. It was as stupid as this. And Jesus was broken because he looked at the people and he looked at the marriages and he says, no, it doesn't work like that. God is a covenant God. Like, you can't just throw your wife on the curb. And what they did too in the Old Testament when God says, I hate divorce, is that they would throw the wife on the curb without a letter of divorce so she would be forced to glean the fields and be on her own with no support. So it was horrible, Right? And so what, God is, what Paul is saying here is when it comes to divorce, he's saying, remember the covenant you made before God. And remember that, that that's an agreement that you did towards each other and before God. It's, it's like 
you go to a wedding or you, or you remember your own wedding and, and uh, the future couple is, they're just on the verge of getting married and making their, they're, they're, they're doing their vows. It's not sealed yet with uh, paper. I always say that sometimes uh, we've already had some, in the past, some license that came back because it was a mistake that was done in a license. It's kind of funny. Legally, they're not married, but they are. But it's kind of, I don't know. This is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know where I was going with that. Totally lost, <laughs> totally lost my train of thought. What Paul is saying is, don't follow the culture of the world where you get divorced for any reason. It's, uh, it's like you are in front and you vow. Well, your vows are serious. Your vows are done before God. And, and, and marriage is, is a lifelong commitment. Like, I, I know that uh, when it comes to marriage, there's challenges and and. We might have different priorities and we might have unmet expectations and, and sometimes we go through financial stress and it puts so much pressure on the marriage and, and sometimes sickness hits us or one of our kids and, and sometimes when it comes to faith we don't really agree or, or we go through rough trials and hardship and, and we run on empty and we're emotionally bankrupt. We work and work and we don't see uh, the love of our lives like we should. We grow apart. We're falling out of love. We don't connect. We don't communicate. We get caught into addictions. We, 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 we're, we're not enough intimate. There's a lack of family support and you become incompatible and the list goes on and on and on and on. Marriage is not an easy thing, right? It's a beautiful thing, but a healthy marriage doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's decisions that need to be made. And the commitment, I think it's the first. If you get married with an exit door in the back of, of your, the house of your head, then you will always think about it. So marriage, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord, meaning another Christian. So we need to remember when it comes to marriage, when it comes to that relationship, we can find grace. Because the reality is that we can't make it work on our own. And, and, and Paul was clear about that in this epistle, not only in this chapter, that you can't have healthy relationship without God. And, and he says... That, like, you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, powerful verse that I think it can be applied in the context of marriage. It says, Don't copy the behavior and the custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What a verse, right? Being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Be transformed according to God's word. If both of you are married, uh, both of you are Christians, the thing is, you want to see transformation. You want to see God come and change you from the outside. And that's the key. How do you have a healthy marriage? How do you have an awesome foundation for your kids and your grandkids to come? It's when we embrace transformation. Can someone say amen? amen. And, and, and it's not linked to education. It's not linked to your family background. It's about transformation. Maybe when it comes to your own life, there needs to be more healing because you started life minus 25. But it doesn't mean that God is not able to restore because God is all about restoration. 
And there's some of you that are not married. You're afraid to get married because you don't think you're good enough. But it's not about being good enough. It's about God transforming you in the inside. And so when God transformed you and you got the example of Paul that was a murderer and then becoming this hyper-disciple that we get the letter, most of the New Testament that he wrote. So there's transformation. And I got to believe that. That God is able to transform. That God is able to heal. When I walk away from this belief that God is able to transform, that God is able to heal, what happens is I start to open the doors that I should not open. Right? So I want to go to God. I want to be transformed in a new person. So God is a God of transformation. And I believe it's linked to surrender to his Holy Spirit as God makes us godly. In this chapter, God, Paul addresses two different scenarios because he talks that marriage is for life and it should be, but what if this happened? What, this, what if this happened? And, and, and it says in the context here of chapter 7, verse 12, you got people that came to the Lord. Let's say I'll rephrase this. You get this guy or this lady that comes to the Lord, but the husband didn't or the wife didn't. So what do you do in the context of a mixed marriage where they come to the Lord, he comes to the Lord, he wants us to follow God, and the partner says, no way, like, I want to continue to live my pagan rituals and so on and so on and so on. So what do you do? And so that was a legitimate question that the Corinthian asked Paul. And if, uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, it's the first context. And he says, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. When he says, I, not the Lord, he's not saying that he doesn't have the authority of Scripture here. He's saying, previously I quoted Jesus. Now I'm not quoting Jesus. I'm adding to the revelation uh, of the New Testament. He says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Look what it says in verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbeliever's wife has been sanctified through a believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, um, but as it is, they are holy. What, What Paul is saying here is that, let's say, like I said, someone... Is coming to the, came to the Lord, the husband, let's say, I'll, I'll say the woman comes to the Lord, the husband hasn't, and said, and the husband is okay with it, don't get divorced. I remember this story many years ago, this lady in church, I was her treasurer, her husband didn't come to church, and she went for a trip to Israel, and as she was with Christians over there, people were asking her, hey, so about, what about your marriage? She, she, she said, well, my husband is not a Christian, uh, but we have a good relationship, and they told her, you should get divorced. And then she comes back home and she's all confused. She says, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I read her that text. No. And, and this guy was an awesome guy. He didn't come to church. Later on, he came to the Lord. But before, on his deadbed, he came to the Lord. But their marriage was great. So no. And, and Paul says that if you stay in that context, let's say you're a Christian and you're living, or your husband or your wife is, not an, is an unbeliever, you're sanctifying your house, meaning that you are the representation of God in your midst. It's like you're the light of God in the house. You're the light of God in, in, in the life of your kids. You have a tremendous impact. So don't get discouraged. Realize that 
God is using you. And if that's your case this morning, I want you to know that continue to shine and see what God's going to do, right? The other situation, the other context, is what happens if a, a believing spouse leaves because of Christ in you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, it says, But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or a woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In the context here, like I said, you have this mixed marriage where you have one person that follows the Lord and the other wants to go back to their pagan, pagan uh, ritual. It's a picture of a man that doesn't want nothing to do with the Lord and wants to live his pagan lifestyle and decides to leave. He just goes. Well, Paul says, let him go or let her go. And the believer is not bound in such circumstances. So does that mean that you make it hard for someone to stay, right? You say, man, I want to move on in life, so I'm going to put some stress on my husband or on my wife and, and for him or her to leave. And when they leave, then I can be free to do whatever I want. No, that's not what it's saying at all. Here the focus is on peace. It's to make it hard for someone to leave. But when they leave and they want to live their own lives and do whatever they want, well, it says here, let them go. And you're free. You're free to move on. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends from you, depends on you, live at peace with everyone, dear friends. And, and never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay back. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So what we're seeing here is that, let's say it happens that an unbeliever is, is married with a believer and the unbeliever wants to live his pagan life and he goes and, and he lives common law or he gets remarried, I believe the one that's staying home is, is called to, to, uh, to be free. But I don't think it's, it, it, it should happen in a quick manner and, and the person should run into another relationship. In verse 16 it says, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And that's a double-edged sword because it says, Why are you sticking in the situation where you know that this guy just wants out? One. And secondly, why you don't know really what's going to happen. He might turn back when he shows, when he sees godliness. In other words, it's don't be quick to run into another relationship. I believe there needs to be healing and restoration. So Paul says in that situation, let him go. I, I think it's the same when it comes to infidelity. When you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, it says, But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who, did I say that right? But if I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery, um, and anyone who marries a divorced woman is also committing adultery. When I look at this context, I think that the goal is restoration and healing. But if there's no repentance and there's no accountability, in this journey of mine being pastor for 35 years, I've seen some great potential for reconciliation. 
When you have sometimes one party that doesn't want to come back, wants to continue to live in their sins. I, I remember dealing with this man that she, he was on his third affair because she took him the first two times. And the third time I remember challenging him, who is going to be your mistress and your wife? And he looks at me and says, I don't know. You got to decide, bud. Decide. She's still waiting for you. And he decided to go and to go with his mistress. I remember meeting with this lady and say, hey, you did all that you could. Be free. Be at peace. But there's always a place for forgiveness in any situation when there's true repentance and accountability. And sometimes it takes time. It, takes, it needs healing. And I would even add, I would even add the same when it comes to sexual and physical abuse in a home. I've seen some people stay in their home and say, well, I got to sit in my home. If there's abuse, physical and sexual, someone has to leave. First of all, it's a legal matter. You can't just say, oh, well, it has to be addressed. It's wrong. So as I wrap up this message, <laughs> that is a heavy one, the bottom line I, that I want to share to you is that it's all about having a sincere heart and a heart that wants transformation. I don't know where you are in this journey of life, you know. I don't know all the details and all the background. I know one thing is God wants to be present in your life, and he wants to walk with you, and he wants to bring freedom in your heart. And I totally understand that sometimes there's eggs that are broken in the pan, and you can't bring them back, right? So this is why we say, give us your wisdom, Father. Help us to navigate in a way that honors you so that you might be pleased and so that we might be, so that we might be witnesses for you. Amen? I would ask you to stand. Father, I pray that we would take our relationship seriously. That we would walk in mutuality. That we would embrace transformation. And that we would walk with a love that is not ours. Father, I lift up every marriage here and all those that one day will be married. That they would see the value and the importance of coming under you and to do life according to your ways. So Father, I pray that you would be magnified in our lives. I pray that you would touch and bring healing, that you would speak and that your will will be done in, in us individually, in our marriage, in our family, and that we would create a platform for the next generation or the young, young generation that they will be able to imitate the way we live. So we want to be example for the next generation or the younger generation for those that are a little older. So may you be glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.